Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Built Environment Marketing Show. It is my last interview of 2023. Um, There will be a Christmas special that will come out in two weeks time, so look out for that though. I am your host, Ira Bass, a marketing consultant, content creator, speaker and trainer, and I run my own consultancy called Abbas Marketing. Head to abbasmarketing.com to find out more about me and the work that I do. Anyway, today's episode, I actually went to somebody's office and did it in person with my own equipment. So apologies if the sound isn't completely there, but I am learning. So my guest is Ellie Sharp, and she is the business development and marketing director at architectural firm Perkins and Will. It was a really, really interesting conversation, um, especially because I actually get Ellie to kind of talk about how she actually got into the industry, because it's not the usual kind of way. In our discussion, we also look at thought leadership, kind of how they run their campaigns in areas such as education, healthcare and life sciences. And we also touch on the fact and the importance of marketing ideation. We also look at tools because I guess there's a thing about we've all got to use the right tools, but actually, if they're not workable or collaborative, are they actually the right tools? Um, And we also look at some of her approach to awards this year, of which they've won quite a few, and how you have to focus. Um, So anyway, I will let you get on with listening to the show. Enjoy. Hi, Ellie. Thanks for coming on to the show. So... Can you uh, kick off and tell me a bit about, I'm going to say yourself first before we talk about Perkins and Will. Myself? Yeah, and how you got into architecture marketing, because it's quite an interesting one. Yeah, it's definitely not a linear journey, for sure. Um, So my professional career started out as me being a professional ballerina. Um, I moved to London when I was 15, left school straight after my GCSEs. found my world into the, my way into the world of ballet and was training um, with English National Ballet School for four years and then graduated into their company and performed with them and various others all around Europe. Um, but unfortunately, during that time, I had a really bad hip injury and uh, subsequently had to have several surgeries. And it got to the point where actually I was in so much pain um, that the doctors were sort of saying, you won't walk at 40 um, if you carry on. So oh, wow. I really had to sort of rethink my career. Um, and I literally had no idea what I was going to do. You know, I'd thrown my whole life at performing, being on stage, being a dancer. And suddenly I was sort of faced with thinking about what my alternative would be. I'd always sort of had a passion for architecture, buildings, even though I didn't really know about it. Um, and I went for a few job interviews with literally zero skills other than a sort of... Um, I guess, semi-qualification in word processing, PowerPoint and Excel, um, and went to a a recruitment consultancy who sort of pimped me around for a few jobs in admin. Um, And luckily enough, I was invited to interview an amazing uh, property developer, uh, which is now called You and I, who were recently bought by Landsec. Probably shouldn't say bought by. Um, (laughs) I think they merged, Um, which is great for them. Um, And it kind of opened my eyes to realising um, a whole new sector that I'd never really considered, which was the wonderful world of real estate. Yeah. Um, I, as I said, I started there as an admin assistant, essentially a receptionist. And although a lowly job in some respects, it was actually a wonderful experience to see, greet and meet people who were consistently coming through the door of perhaps one of the most pioneering 
property developers of our generation, I would say. Um, The business itself was led by two, three incredible people, namely Martin Evans um, and Richard Upton, who both have been incredible inspirations to me on my journey throughout uh, my progress into, uh, I guess, architecture marketing. Um, (laughs) And I had a really crazy time there where I actually ended up going back to ballet for a period of time because I was given the opportunity to do a sort of swan song performance. Um, And I remember them saying oh you will come back though won't you and I was sort of thinking god if I were them I would have just been saying you've been here for three months you're off back to ballet clearly you're not interested in this and we're not investing in you but they really did and um when I came back it was sort of three months back doing the receptionist role and then Martin said I think it would be great if you could come and work uh with me and the sort of marketing communications team and I learned everything I know from him um So if he's listening, that's the good, the bad and the ugly uh, about myself, not about him. Um, And it was really just a process of being embedded in a company that I felt completely passionate about. We felt inspired every day by the leaders and their ambition and vision. Um, And I guess that sort of propelled me and I I grew up the the tree from there. Um, And I had this sort of epiphany and at one point thinking, you know, is marketing exactly what I want to do. I had a real passion for interior design. Um, I went and I did several courses at UAL in the evenings, but then spoke to a few people who said, doing an interior design role as a full-time job isn't exactly what you think. Why don't you take your knowledge of the client side, working for a developer in their marketing communications team and transfer that over into architecture and help architects realize the opportunities that they have with clients across brand, uh, messaging, purpose, vision, um, et cetera. And that's ultimately how I found myself here. Fantastic. So in terms of your role now at Perkins and Will, how did you, um, I guess, what's what's your role and what uh, and what's your team? How are you set up? Uh, so I actually joined Perkins and Will almost two years ago um, as strategic partnerships director. Again, probably one of those uh, job titles that people are going, what does that mean? <laughs> um, but ultimately, it was to look at how strategy and work winning and partnerships with clients could really deliver on the ambitions that we had here in our London and Dublin studios. Yeah. Um, and about a year ago, um, our team sort of needed more leadership in the sense that it was a very flat line structure, which had many, many benefits, but all reporting into the MD, who didn't at the time really have the capacity to sort of nurture and give the team what they needed in terms of growth and vision. Um, So I was very fortunate to sort of get the opportunity to then lead our team. Um, So the team is eight strong at the moment. Um, We cover everything from bids and work winning to business development and strategy and communications and PR, which is sort of wrapped under the marketing bubble of Perkins & Will. And is that global? Yes. Wow. That's huge. Well, not huge for, I mean, for the size of like your practice is what, how many people? I'm going to say what you meant. As in, that's a sort of global structure. Yeah. Our remit is EMEA, essentially. So oh, okay. Apologies. We have a London studio and a Dublin studio. Um, we have Schmidt Hammer Larsen Architects, who are based out in Denmark. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, our region encompasses Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Oh, okay, cool. So, yeah, a little smaller. Than I was going to say, I was but like, not, 
Not miniature either. <laughs> no, no, no. It's good. It, it's a good sized team. It's, it's good. So in terms of, I guess, um, what's your approach to marketing overall? What kind of things do you tend to major on and do? Um, well, I think my real passions when it comes to marketing are very much thought leadership and innovation. Um, I think you can really grow your practice's profile and uh, the excitement and engagement that it has within the market by really being pioneering. I think, you know, projects are great, delivering work is the proof within the pudding, as they say. But I guess for me, it's all about ideation and setting new stratospheres, I guess, in terms of the way we're trying to push um, our influence on real estate as designers. And I think we really have an important role to play there. And I think there is a tendency now with buzzwords like sustainability, which more to ESG, but it's gone back again, right? Yeah, human <laughs> capital, um, social purpose, meanwhile use, all these things exist. Um, but I think for me, it's very much about sort of saying, actually, what is our role and how can we push for better? So my real passion within marketing is is that. But can't just do thought leadership alone. There has to be more to it. And so when you're kind of approaching that, when you're approaching the thought leadership, how do you kind of do that? What's your kind of process and how do you get the ideas? Is it you guys or is it more you brainstorm with the team or...? I think it stems from us um, in the sense that we, as, as a marketing team, we were just chatting about this earlier, I really do see us as the sort of nucleus of, yeah. of the studio here. We touch all sides, you know, everything from our corporate interiors team all the way through to urban design, through to Portland, who are an incredible placemaking and branding agency that are in-house with us. And I think for me, it's we're at the sort of, centre of many, many of the conversations that happen here. And we're pulling out and teasing out and yeah. speaking to clients and hearing the industry and actually really seeing what some of the big challenges are. Um, and I think for us, that gives us a great platform to be able to sort of propose really relevant and, I guess, well-received conversations that hopefully is sort of going to help us move the dial. I think that's the thing. You're absolutely right. I think especially when you're a marketeer, when you, even when you start from a relatively junior level, you are having senior access and going to meetings and you're right touching all parts of a practice, aren't you? And you end up knowing about the finance, how it works, the legal side, which always scares me. Um, <laughs> I'm always like, oh, way my, above my yeah. <laughs> I'm always there going, oh my god! Like you're sitting board meetings, but um, I do think there is that thing that we do see so much, and I think it, we've got so much, and we have a different perspective, which I think is one of those things where we sort of come in and it's like, actually, have you considered it this way? Or for me, I quite often don't understand why things are done in certain ways. So I'm always there going, why? Yeah, uh, but asking questions is. <laughs> I think someone said to me once, if you ask more questions, you get more answers. Yeah, and that's certainly how I like our team to operate um i always say you know no one's gonna die you've got to keep pushing and yeah. keep making change and being ambitious and um i think you know that whole essence of uh, forgiveness rather than permission is, is sort of the ethos that i'm trying to provide. definitely i think as yeah i think you, ha you do need to do that and just making sure that you're asking people and just yeah being curious i think is, is is the key thing so in terms of kind of recent campaigns you've done what's what's your kind of what have you been doing this year campaign wise well teaser we are about to launch a new campaign at the end of january um which is actually looking at the sort of role of place within um the talent race of life sciences um something we've been hearing a lot from our clients is 
we need to get the people in. Um, And we hear that across the board, you know, when we're working on an incredible interiors fit out project for the likes of of Netflix or Arup or others, you know, this is a huge investment for people in terms of workplace and getting people back into the office. But I think for life sciences um, clients, you know, they're really looking at how they can set the bar and and an increasingly small pool of talent, how their commercial buildings can actually play a part in their sort of hiring and talent retention race so um, I'm really excited for that and we've managed to interview a lot of really really um, successful and I guess eminent figures in that industry and across our industry too so it's lovely to sort of hear all of the voices come together and hopefully that's going to be a really robust launch in January so that's what I'm really excited about. That sounds really fun and also I think stuff like the Francis Crick coming to like King's Cross isn't it that's created a whole kind of area and and science hub there isn't it and the whole whole thing about bringing sciences within cities rather than being on like in the middle of nowhere which is which is what it used to be absolutely so um i've actually been working with jack salabank of future places studio on this report um and he was actually one of the first pioneers of identifying um that sort of area as a knowledge cluster yeah um which is amazing i think it must have been at least five years ago that we were doing a launch down at british lands um campus over at euston road but it is amazing to sort of see how it's developed and we've got a number of projects on at the moment you know working across Tribeca which is life sciences piece we're yeah. doing Oriel which is the sort of combination of UCL and Moorfields Eye Hospital into one combined campus where learning and research all come together Combine, under one roof, yeah. um, all the way through to doing um, the KGX1 project um, which is a giant landscaper for a big tech client which everybody knows but I'm not allowed to talk about <laughs> which is the um, size of the shard on its side I know absolutely <laughs> mental <laughs> Um, and it has then, a running track on top. And a swimming pool. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and, and all the way through to Portland, who I mentioned earlier, you know, doing an incredible new signage and wayfinding piece around cold drops. So I think, you know, our touch points in that sector of London are definitely uh, visible. Um, yeah. And it is exciting to sort of see how it's... But it's funny because I, um, I originally worked at Arab like, a very long time ago. And so, yeah, some of the stuff I was worked for the King's Cross team. Yeah. I worked with, uh, I worked on the bid for the Francis Crick mm. originally. So that's like 2009. Amazing. So like, <laughs> so mad stuff like that. So yeah, King's Cross is actually one of those areas where it's like, I know what's happening there. Yeah. I did for a long time. Well, I actually moved to King's Cross or just the periphery of King's Cross to live a few years ago and even just in the last three years to yeah. see it evolve is absolutely amazing. So uh, yeah, it's definitely a place close to my heart. Oh, it's lovely. It's lovely. Love it. Love it. And in terms of, I guess, your brand and the Perkins and Will brand, how's how's that evolved over the years and what kind of had to, have you had to do to kind of shape that and take that forward? Because it has evolved quite a lot, hasn't it? And it's it still has. evolving. And it is still evolving, absolutely. So um, Perkins and Will, I mean, came to the UK many, many years ago and their sort of process of growth here has been through acquisition, mm-hmm. um, starting with Pringle Brandon and more recently with Pranoy and Prasad um, and with Portland, as I mentioned. And I think the challenge is when you're bringing in multiple cultures it's obviously fantastic because yeah. there's a multitude of viewpoints and new ideas and projects and portfolios to build upon but I think it's really been establishing Perkins and Will in a variety of sectors to really um, have a hard-hitting I guess brand purpose of who we are what we stand for and what we want to be known for um, I think it's actually one of our 
I guess, selling points in a way that we deliver projects end to end all the way, you know, from urban planning at the very sort of ideation of a strategic piece of land all the way through to fitting out an incredible workplace for the likes of the tech giants. So I think to sort of have that end to end piece is where we're really driving our brand narrative in terms of adding value to clients. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, the brand has a huge footprint in, in the corporate fit out uh, market and we are growing quite heavily in healthcare, science and tech, higher education and urban design too. Um, so it's definitely an era of growth for us. We recently moved to um, our new HQ at 150 Holborn, which is a landmark project for us right in the heart of London. So I think that's definitely putting us on the map too and several new big projects sort of coming to fruition. So I think it's been a, a sort of a journey of growth, even in the two years that I've been here, um, of people when they said, oh, so where are you going to? And I said, Peckinsville, and, and sort of scratching their heads. But actually now it certainly seems, particularly through you know, many award wins this year, particularly at the BCO, et cetera, and the yeah. AJ, um, you know, we do everything from small um I guess, really thoughtful and sensitive projects like Grenfell Nursery, which is the sort of first piece of rebuilding that community, um, all the way through to, as I mentioned earlier, huge uh, commercial office building. So it's a big range. And I guess, like, how did... Were you around for the kind of transition in terms of how, like, the Panoric... You've got legacy brands, in a way, which are strong brands, haven't you? And that whole thing of, I guess, in some ways, bringing a a new brand into the mix. I mean, how hard has that been? That's quite... Yeah, I mean, it's... um, I think I cut my teeth when I was at UNI, which was actually the sort of merger of development securities and cathedral groups. So Mm. that was a real opportunity to bring a whole new brand into the market of two merging businesses, which I think was highly successful and definitely has made a mark on the sort of London and UK real estate market. I think here, you know, Pernod and Prasad are absolutely they have history they have incredible leaders and we still got incredible leaders that are with us and an incredible um portfolio of projects yeah i think across a a wide range of sectors particularly healthcare and education which was sort of i think the i wasn't here at the beginning of the acquisition or the sort of strategy around it but my understanding to really bolster that side of our business um and their name stayed with us for three years um and then it was only at the beginning of this year that we sort of integrated them in because we were ultimately one brand at that point because it's when you've been building it right yeah exactly and I think that's always hard you know people have attachments to names and brands and businesses that they've built from the ground up and I think there's always a sort of I think there was a horrendous sort of AJ um (laughs) uh, title saying you know giant swallows small boutique practice but it's really not that it's it's definitely about just sort of emphasizing the areas that we want to grow and and not losing any of the charm and um impact that they had had on that and also you want to keep the people so you want you want to you know i mean ultimately that's what it's about isn't it it's just yeah i can imagine it's just there are quite a few brands where you go you know you're looking as that transition and how fast do you do it and actually there's a couple of firms i'm going to interview next year talking about you know, they, they've been brought up by large US firms. So it's going to be interesting to have that discussion and they're at different stages. Well, I think it's an interesting point because, you know, you look at architecture practices that are sort of coming to the point where perhaps the name directors over the door are looking to retire. And really, 
um, if there's no obvious succession plan within those businesses, they kind of have two choices, either to look at an acquisition or look at an EOT model. Um, And I think, you know, more and more practices are sort of struggling with which is the best option for them. And I know that acquisition is is a really challenging piece when it comes to brand and wanting to keep that legacy. But um, I would say here it's very much about maintaining that um, and, and the profile and the people. It's Io here. And as you're a listener to the show, I just wanted to tell you a bit more about how I can help you get your built environment marketing done. If you're looking to set up a company podcast or trying to figure out what content you want to create for an amazing campaign that really engages your audience, or even if you want to get your business more up to speed in terms of how they approach digital marketing and how you get kind of senior level people on board with workshops and training, then do bear me in mind. I'm actually a marketing consultant, content creator and trainer but I work specifically with built environment firms just like yours. So I know the best practices and approaches, but also most importantly, how to apply them to our sector. You can find out more about my work at abassmarketing.com or feel free to email me at io, which is A-Y-O, at abassmarketing.com. There's also links in the show notes too. Thanks for listening and now back to the show. I guess in terms of uh, marketing channels, what's been working well for you in 2023? I did what see things this question like? on your list. I was <laughs> sort of sitting here thinking, God, are we highly, you know, we're not innovating enough. Maybe that's, maybe that's something I need to look at. I can see you on TikTok list. next week. Is that what you're saying? Well, uh, they are actually a client of ours. Um, I think there's been some questions recently about how... Uh, TikTok's used particularly in the US in terms of sort of is it a channel for communications or is it a channel for sort of MI6 activity yeah Um, so Uh I think we're a bit limited at the moment on that front but I would say you know obviously I think we've grown our social media presence and that's definitely had an impact particularly on sort of you know garnering interest from new talent coming out of education and I think you know people aren't necessarily looking on websites anymore they're looking on Instagram they want to see the real story who the people are um, what we're profiling not just a ton of projects and I think that's a big shift you know in terms of the way people want to work for purpose-driven brands don't they so that's the sort of lens in Um, one of the things we've been using quite a lot more recently for actually pitches and I guess b2b conversations instead of just clicking through a slide deck and let's face it architects literally can't wait to put 150 (laughs) projects into a presentation and talk about each of them in detail. As um, everyone else falls asleep, right? Yeah. Um, we've been looking at using Mirrorboard. Um, oh, yeah, It's a really yeah. great way to sort of, you know, have a conversation that isn't linear. So, you know, allowing the conversation in the room to flow organically and then arm, arming ourselves with a plethora of fantastic either projects or thought leadership pieces or insights, awards, etc. Yeah. Um, to be able to sort of jump around the conversation in a far more organic fashion which is really really nice were you ever around when Prezi was around I wasn't. Oh, <laughs> maybe I was just protective. No, it was just it was basically a tool where again it was a bit like Prezi, like a bit a bit like Miro, but it was like people you could basically have lots of different ideas and scan around a board, but like some people would just do it too fast and it would just like make you quite sick yeah. <laughs> visually. But no, I know exactly what you mean on Miro. I think that's a brilliant idea yeah. and just a different. But then you've got lots of I guess lots of different chapters and lots of different areas you can take people through, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that I think. Um, particularly some of our designers and definitely some of the 
wonderful people in my bid team who love to work in InDesign have really struggled with this year is we've slightly moved away when it comes to presentations back to PowerPoint. Dun, dun, dun. Terrifying. And... Actually, the reason why we have is not necessarily for the design capability of the software, let's be honest, but just the fact that from a collaborative perspective, you have many people in the document at the same time working on it together, less exporting, less sharing the file. And I think there's definitely benefits to that. But just a plea to Microsoft, if you could get it up to the scratch of InDesign from a design software perspective, but with all of the sharing elements, that would be really great. Have you looked at Canva? Yes, we, we actually work a lot in Canva. The socials and stuff. Yeah. I guess it's not it's not quite as good as it hasn't got the functionality. It doesn't. Um, That's the thing, isn't it? You can't do quite as much, but you can do some amazing presentations on that. Oh yeah, you really can. And it's got a template for absolutely everything, which is unbelievable and a great starter for ten. So we definitely do use Canva quite a lot and it's definitely growing in terms of one of the But I think InDesign's just cumbersome, isn't it? It's got to that point. Because you're like, you, your image files are like, and it's like everything is so slow and it's like, it's expensive. It is ex- exceedingly expensive. We've actually moved to sort of, you know, a, a license checkout policy where we don't give everybody licenses yeah. for the entire week. It's when they need them. But I think, you know, it wasn't even necessarily designed to be, let's face it, the architect's portfolio software. It was, no. it was designed for, you know, making magazines and books and we've almost had to sort of reinvent it. But yeah, I, I guess it's not really, uh, pioneering marketing tools, is it? You're saying we're moving back to PowerPoint, but I think it's quite interesting. I think that's it. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe interview me again next year. I am she'll be that. like, we're on PowerPoint. I'm like, okay. Yeah, this archaic analog girl. <laughs> but you know what, though? I think it's finding the tools that work for your practice. And I think that's the thing. It's much more about just looking at it and going, is this actually working? And if InDesign looks great, but no one can do anything to it. Exactly. So I think it's finding the right tools that work for you. And I think, you know, being able to get your full team collaborating uh, and on board is sort of the the key now. It's beyond beauty. It's actually about collaboration. And getting getting those ideas out, right? Yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So that's the channel, PowerPoint. Um, (laughs) And and we touched briefly on awards. So how do you tackle awards? Because some of them are are a beast, as I'm trying to do a BCL award. Yeah, we are in the process of completing four BCO awards this year, which is, yeah, definitely my uh, team saying words they shouldn't be upstairs on the floor on many, many occasions. I think um, something we need to bring in more is a bit of a no-go, no-go strategy on awards. I think I had a grand vision for 2023 where I was going to plot all of the awards out on a calendar and have them all agreed six months in advance. But let's face it, uh, it's never, ever going to work like that. But I do think sort of having a strategy and a foresight of which projects and, and, and beyond projects, you know, thought leadership and, and innovation and ideas, what you can be sort of putting in that's actually diversifying your awards content is really, really good. Yeah. The one thing I would say about awards, nothing is wasted because all of that work you're doing is going to be used somewhere. So okay. it's really great to do a, a big deep dive. Um, I mean, we've been really successful on awards this year. We won Practice of the Year at Mixology Awards. We won um, Innovation Award at the BCO National Awards and the ESG Award at the Regional Finals. That's amazing. Um, our Irish studio also just won Practice of the Year at the Fit Out Awards. So and you went, didn't you? I did, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was a real scam. Um, I'm not over in Dublin, although, you know, definitely lots of my time is spent, you know, looking at their strategies. But it's um, it's definitely been a really successful year for us. Um, I can't take any credit to myself. It's definitely the team, the comms team and, and our project teams as well. But I would say definitely... Uh, 
the biggest strategy for me is looking at how we can garner all the information we can on a project that's going to be there when we need it for something as intensive as the BCO Awards because gosh when you don't have that information having to ask a ton of consultants <laughs> to go and find it for you is painful and the cost information they're asking for is huge yeah and it's just like okay it's not it's, and I think that's the thing is that you do and I think that go no go is really important because and then sitting there going right do we have the, t- the capacity for somebody to be on this for like a week and the people who need to be involved in it are do they have the time as well absolutely because I think that's the issue isn't it and I think it's also you know what does that take them away from yeah um I think it's you know beyond whether they even have the time you know it's prioritization and I think we had a point a couple of years ago where one of our projects was doing so well in awards that it was almost just like this snowball effect of, oh, we've got to enter it for more and more and more. And actually it gets to a point where you dilute the impact of, yeah. you know, those award wins if you, you've got 10 trophies in the cabinet for the same things. So actually, how can we sort of diversify what we're putting in and making sure that the awards are exactly what the project needs? I think my record was 18. Oh, my word. <laughs> Crikey. Go. Yeah, you, you deserve your own medal for that one. Uh, yeah, I've definitely not got to. <laughs> no, but it was, it, was, it was actually combined, though. It was, like, with the wider project team, so it wasn't... So it was when I was working on New Street, when I was at Mace, but, like, the wider project team as well, but yeah, over. But it was over a number of years. Wow, yeah. But, but I mean, it got to the stage, though, that we'd done so much stuff on it that, like, like when it came to the final, like, BCIA award... Boat, but like, <laughs> I had everything you could ever think of. <laughs> well, how great though, you know, for yeah. all of your sort of uh, bid work when you needed to put in a project. We profile, literally had every literally innovation, had. every like we had it. So you know, it's never wasted, as I said. And actually, what's really interesting is that we recently won two Test of Time awards on the trot with um, Architecture Today, and it's actually lovely to also be able to revisit and go back and yeah. look at how your projects have literally stood the test of time so and also from you know ESG and sustainability sort of credentials package looking at how we were actually thinking about that way before everybody else yeah and I think that's especially on the whole kind of architecture today doing these more kind of awards that are not looking at the glitzy and also they've changed they've changed the um the structural engineering awards as well okay. there are yeah they're, they're they're basically like you know they're looking at the green first fantastic and so it's not about shiny and new it's actually they you know they put they you know the criteria and everything is all geared towards what ratings how's it doing actually and and that's what that's what's driving every award which i think is great so it's nice to see that because i know when i've done research on like esg stuff you kind of sit there and you're like actually when you people aren't always they don't go back and check on their work yeah to see how it's performing i think but and that's the issue. Is changing that. I think, you know, the, the sort of rise in smart, the rise in sort of looking at how with certain um, sustainability criteria, you need to be reporting annually on how you're, you're you know, that sort of operational yeah. piece, you know. I think we that is becoming more native in the sort of way we work. So I'm hoping that that will be encouraged more. We've just got to ask the clients to make sure they're doing those post-occupancy Because that's the bit, isn't it? That's the missing piece. And I know when I've done some stuff when you're, we've done RSP and we've, Stops sat there and you know they're like one of the big issues is that it's like we don't go back in and check 
Absolutely. And I think also asking your clients to, you know, involve you in that post-occupancy because half the time you find, oh, they are doing a POE, but they've gone to somebody else. And then you don't have that continuity of information. And I think that for us is is really, really crucial. So hopefully more of that in 2024. (laughs) (laughs) So we're all going to be targeting, definitely. Okay, so two final questions. So first one is, how do you define success in marketing? Oh, gosh, I think the list is endless. But um, in marketing, it's definitely making sure that my team are feeling engaged as ambassadors of our studio. I think, you know, people don't realise just how influential the content we produce and the you know, presentations we pull together or the thought leadership, that has a gigantic impact on our profile and our visibility within the market. So success for me would definitely look like, or hopefully does at the moment, <laughs> looking at them being, you know, really engaged and, and up to speed with the way we operate, understanding all of our sort of key firm values. Um, and I guess the sort of vision that we have for 2024 and beyond. Um, I think it would also be recognition of the rest of the studio in the marketing team and sort of the value that we bring. I think it's always difficult, you know, being an overhead in a business and having to constantly, you know, look at how your work is performing in terms of an ROI sense. Um, But I think if we all went on a two-week holiday, that might just be the test that they need to recognise. But we're really fortunate. I mean, our our relatively new MD, Joe, who joined us in January, also from Arab. Um, she she's been an incredible sort of pioneer. Oh, from Arab, well, used to be at the architecture side. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, she's been incredible at supporting me and the team in terms of you know having more focus and and I guess taking the time that we do have to make a bigger impact. The greatest sort of analogy she gave me recently, she said, "Your to do list is essentially a stack of pebbles. Find the biggest pe- pebble and drop it in, and that will have the biggest ripple. And those are the things yeah. you need to focus on." So I think also for me, success would definitely look um, like us making bigger waves. I think it is its focus, isn't it? Because it's like you can't do everything. Yeah. Exactly. It's like what is going to really change the change the change the wheel, change yeah. the bow. Ah. Okay, so your final question. So, Crystal Ball, twenty twenty four. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing marketers like you and I? Um, I think it's. I think people have cottoned on to um, that sort of marketing narrative marketing speak um, in the way that they talk about projects and businesses which is actually sort of diluting the impact that we as marketeers can have in terms of you know if everyone's saying the same things we're going to have to constantly be innovating in the way we talk about our businesses and finding new (laughs) dictionary terms for new ways to say the same thing basically yes exactly (laughs) so I I always think that is a challenge and you know chat GPT is certainly not going to help us in that respect Um, I think the other challenge we've got is you know the the big R recession word is is sort of on everyone's lips at the moment and I think Fortunately for us, we're not seeing any slowdown in the market, but there's always that anxiety that that happens. And I think, you know, making sure that, you know, marketing is highly regarded in the sense of, you know, no cost cutting exercises should impact that. And actually, when the chips are down, you've got to be investing in marketing. That's where the value really lies. So I think it's it's hoping um, that 
businesses see that. Um, I feel very fortunate to work for one that does, but I know for many marketers, there's always an anxiety that uh, when those sort of, you know, cost-cutting exercises come, there's there's an anxiety around how much uh, resource and, and opportunity you're given at those moments in time. So those would be my two biggest challenges. I'm sure there's many, many more. Um, <laughs> but yeah, those sprang to mind. Actually, you know what? I'm going to ask a bonus question, just so it's a bit more positive. Like, I was just thinking, like, so what... So what kind of tip? <laughs> no, I'm just thinking, like, what tip would you give to a marketer next to do next year? What tip would I do? Um, great question. I think it's probably a tip for myself, and you've touched on it, which is very much to say, look, you have a finite amount of time. And, of course, we could all work all the hours in the week to deliver as much as we could, but it's to have more focus and really understand exactly how your role is going to make a difference in your organisation. Get yourself some wonderful champions to help you get there and don't be afraid to say no. Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Yay! Yay! Thanks so much for listening to the Built Environment Marketing Show. Don't forget to check out the show notes, which will have useful links and resources connected to this episode. You can find that on abassmarketing.com. And of course, if you like the show, please do share it with others on social as it helps more people to find us. See you soon.